We are back. After people might have uh, thought that we uh, we gave up on this podcast game, but uh, you're not going to get rid of us that easy, losers. Yeah, yeah. I was at a, I was a Fourth of July party yesterday with uh, one of our three listeners, and uh, he asked if we had just given up, and I said uh, no. People shouldn't underestimate how much, uh, you know, humiliation we can take. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to take people on a, um, on a Jules Verne-esque journey mm-hmm. through the wormhole of all human knowledge, basically. Right. So here's how this is going to work. It's, it's going to be magical. It's going to be fantastical. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be a race to navigate Wikipedia yes. and see what we accidentally learn along the way. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm going to jump on wiki roulette in a minute here and find a random Wikipedia page. And then Ooh. I'm going to start on Abraham Lincoln's page and you're going to start on Orson Welles page. And we're going to race to see who can get to the random page in the fewest link clicks. And you guys, yeah, we'll, uh, we will cut that part out so that you yeah, don't we'll have do to that sit here for five air. minutes of typing. Yeah. And I then, feel like that's um, a caveat that we normally have to say, but like this show with its audio quality has at times, I think, <laughs> asked some really interesting questions about, you know, <laughs> the nature of reality, the nature of reality and, and what you will have to hear, whether we can be trusted. Right. You know. Right. Let's set some ground rules. Yes. First one is that this will be timed and we haven't decided what, the time frame will be. Um, there will be an so amount of time. Only way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It will be timed. The only way to navigate is by scrolling the pages and clicking links. So no typing in the search bar. Right. No control F searching for words. You know. Yes. None of that. And then the winner is the person who gets to the random page in the fewest degrees of separation. Right. And yes, and, and the rabbit holes will make up the, the content of this episode. Um, I guess, you know, anything that sparks our interest in that time would be fair game. So get ready for a show about whatever rocky road lies between Abraham Lincoln and or Orson Welles and whatever wiki roulette has given to us. Okay, I got the Lipinski Stradivarius. Ooh, all right. So I'm going to read the beginning of this so we're on the same page and we know what we're looking for here. The Lipinski Stradivarius is an antique violin constructed in 1715 by the Italian luthier Antonio Stradivari. Stradivari? I, yes. (laughs) 
I've heard Stradivarius. I, I've never heard his other name, the one that is <laughs> his true the name? correct one, <laughs> his true name that binds him to us. Yes. <laughs> Sure. It sounds yes. like a it sounds like a pizza place or something when I say it. It's very yeah, uncouth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was made during his golden period between 1700 mm. and 1720. The violence he made other than that are just shit. Um but <laughs> <clears throat> there are fewer than 650 extant Stradivarius violins in the world today, and the Lipinski is considered to be a particularly fine example. In 2012, it was appraised at $5 million U.S. dollars. Under history, it has Lipinski and post-Lipinski. So, oh, because I guess Lipinski was a person and he died. Um, that would make sense. Yeah. Just, I feel like we should uh, go through a little of this so that we have some idea of what to search for. Yeah. Right? Italian violinist and composer Giuseppe Tartini is the first reputed owner. Mm. Um, oh, this is good. Tartini who in 1713 experienced a dream in which he allowed the devil to play his violin. Wow, that's a euphemism. <laughs> heard, <laughs> he heard a beautiful sonata, which he was unable to compare with anything he had ever heard. Tartini, two years later, tried to reproduce the sound in his Devil's Trill Sonata. Oh, man, this is good. God, why don't we just have a podcast about this guy, about yeah. Tartini? Tartini ah. presented the violin to his pupil, Signor Salvini. <laughs> this just gets better and better. According to a reminiscence of a certain von Krakow, who met the Polish violinist Karol Lipinski in Dresden in 1849, the young Lipinski, provided with a letter of recommendation from Louis Spohr, met Salvini in Milan, probably at the end of his concert tour, 1817 to 18. After Lipinski performed for Salvini, Salvini, the teacher asked to see his violin, which he then smashed to pieces against the corner of a table. Salvini handed the oh, shocked man. Lipinski the Stradivarius as a gift from me, this is a quote, as a gift from me and simultaneously as a commemoration of Tartini. So I suppose that like violins are a, a Highlander situation where you can't have more than one at a time. <laughs> there can only be one. Yeah. <laughs> there can only be one. <laughs> Post Lipinski. Uh, following Lipinski's death, the violin passed through numerous collections enumerated by Herbert Goodkind. Use all these names as if we're supposed to know who they are. Uh, old Herbie right. Goodkind. Until it came into the possession of Dr. Jose Martinez Cañas of Havana, Cuba. Ooh. Let's see. In 1962, it was sold to Rosalind Elsner Anschutz of New York City for $19,000. That's a steal. I mean, I guess inflation. Right. But yeah, still probably not, not $5 million. Right. Gave the violin to her daughter-in-law, Estonian violinist Evie Levak. And upon her death in 1996... Levac's husband, Richard Anschutz, took possession of the instrument. Another good, another good euphemism. <laughs> he moved to Milwaukee and stored it in a bank vault. Well, that's, that's I, best, I guess, the best place in Milwaukee to store a priceless object that uh, played the devil's music at one point. Then he died in February 2008. Have you noticed that everyone who owns this violin eventually dies? Oh, man. That's Very a creepy. Curse. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Ownership of the violin passed to an anonymous family member who lent the Lipinski to Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra concertmaster Frank Almond. Of the Almond Brothers. <laughs> of Almond Joy. Um, 
Oh, it's about to get good again. Ooh, okay. That was a little boring, that part, but it's about to get good again. All right. On January 27th, 2014, a Monday, at around 10.20 p.m., or 22.20 Central Standard Time. <laughs> wow, <this> is... <laughs> yes. Almond was assaulted with a taser, and the violin, including two bows, was stolen during an armed robbery in a parking lot in the rear of Wisconsin Lutheran College on West Wisconsin Avenue. Ooh. Everyone knows Wisconsin Lutheran College is a very bad neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Allman had just performed at Wisconsin Lutheran as part of his Frankly Music series. <laughs> no, because his name was Frank. Oh, so um, no one who makes that kind of pun, uh, that kind of pun, should own a Stradivarius. That's just that's not okay. Yeah, it should be. Have it should some be respect for the Devil's Trill Sonata. On thirty first January twenty fourteen, a one hundred thousand dollar reward was announced for the return of the violin. Milwaukee police worked with international police organizations on recovery efforts. The original getaway vehicle and violin case were both found a short time after the original attack, which appeared to have been carefully planned in advance. All right. So this was not a Stradivarius theft of opportunity. This was... I'm only an opportunistic thief of priceless priceless historical artifacts is actually... Actually, that sounds like a, a, a fun goal. I, I, I really hope there's someone out there doing that. I mean, this was clearly the work of the ever-living, cursed, immortal Giuseppe Tartini. Right. right. Who's just been wandering Milwaukee can we, can waiting we for his chance. Can we just talk about how overwhelmed the Milwaukee police must have been uh, having to, like, <laughs> suddenly investigate a uh, an international, like, art heist? Well, you know what? I'm going to tell you, not that overwhelmed because a mere six days later, three suspects were arrested by Milwaukee police. And three days after that, Milwaukee Police Chief Edward Flynn announced that the violin had been recovered. Okay, so, all right. In your Sorry, face. Sorry, I, I underestimated Edward. <laughs> you, think, you think they're not up to saving a cursed look, devil look. violin? Are they, are they Upper Peninsula? Wait, no, uh, I'm no, thinking of the that's wrong Michigan. State. Yeah, that's Michigan. <laughs> you know, Milwaukee, Michigan, where... Uh, <laughs> oh no where wisconsin oh. lutheran college is located yeah uh, yeah well, it was named after jack wisconsin the most famous lutheran preacher in all of michigan <sighs> so then they list they list the whole provenance um mm -hmm. i don't see anybody i don't see orson wells or abraham lincoln on here so i don't think they ever owned this stradivarius so it's going to take more than one click all right but it definitely overlaps with both of their lifetimes. Yeah, that's so true. So I'm saying there's a chance. Let's do it. Let's do it. So listeners, we will leave you here. Yes. And we will be back in, because we're messing with the fabric of space time here, it will feel like mere seconds to you, but it will feel like hours, if not years to yes. us. The things we will have seen. I got it. I, I, I found a pretty easy path. Wow. I did not cover myself in glory here. I, uh, you know, I understand it was, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was hard fought though. I, I believe in, in your. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So should we do the winner or the loser first? Uh, why don't we go with you first? And then because mine will be a complete link and yours won't.
Okay. So we'll always do, okay. yeah. I started on Abraham Lincoln. Needs no introduction. Mm-hmm. I um, I guess my strategy was to try to move closer to being contemporaneous with Stradivarius and then, you know, mm-hmm. somehow mm-hmm. find my way to him. Uh, so I went to Thomas Jefferson and then I went to George Washington Mm-hmm. And then I remembered or thought I remembered that Thomas Jefferson was a musician. Mm-hmm. So then I tried to get back to Thomas Jefferson. Right. Um, but it took me a while to find him. Actually, I mean, he was right there, but I just didn't see it because I was kind of panicking. So I went right. to the sub page of presidency of George Washington. Ah. And I had to scroll through his many feats and deeds. I got to George Washington's cabinet, and there I found Thomas Jefferson again. But then I couldn't find anything about him being a musician <laughs> in here, so I may have just imagined that. Do you know? I have no idea. Uh, I know that he was a a Renaissance man, also a terrible. Yeah, man. he was a polymath, yeah. and so he did lots yeah. of things. Some of them good, and some of them not yeah, so good. I would, I would say the ledger kind of kind of doesn't doesn't balance out in Jefferson's case. Yeah. Just, you know, as a caveat to our, but, but, you know, but if he was a musician, it might (laughs) have. I mean, he, he, uh, he improved the pedometer. So, I mean, what does that get you? Is it, uh, is it easier to fit through the eye of a needle if you improve the pedometer and there (laughs) pave the way for the Fitbit? (laughs) I mean, look, look, the, the Fitbit is the only path to the kingdom of heaven as we know. So, Anyone who helped to uh, to hasten its coming, we venerate. Well, he he um, he invented a revolving book stand, <laughs> Ooh. so we can thank him for the spinny things with um, you know Hardy Boys books on them. Yeah, yeah, or, or Scooby Doo. Pick your pick your boy poison. No, no, no. That's I not. Know, that's not know. a term. I don't understand this one, but he invented a great clock powered by the gravitational pull on cannonballs. Um, so uh, I don't understand that either, but if it's what I am fantasizing right now, uh, it's amazing. But I also am having trouble explaining it. <laughs> um, and then there's the moldboard plow, which, you know, the modern age would never have existed without that. Yes, Moldboard just sounds like a really unpleasant substance. Yeah, I can. M O L D board. Yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty bad. You you know he had a guilty conscience because he never patented the moldboard plow and gave it to posterity. Oh, that's yeah. Okay, all right, there we go. <laughs> Jefferson <laughs> Jefferson can also be credited as the creator of the swivel chair. I mean, I knew about the swivel chair from the HBO uh, uh, television uh, limited series event, John Adams, where uh, Stephen Delane, who would go on to play Stannis Baratheon on Game of Thrones, uh, you know, proudly swivels around in his chair <laughs> to respond cattily to criticism. And do they, they, they dramatize the invention of this chair or he's the no, first person just, they, to they, ever they, swivel a chair dramatically? I mean, they dramatize the swiveling of the chair dramatically, not its invention. <laughs> so at this point, I was getting desperate. Right. And uh, so I decided I needed to do whatever I could to get to Europe. So I clicked on a link for uh, the Marquis de Lafayette. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I know. He's a really good rapper. Yeah. Yeah. 
total um, not helpful dude when it comes to finding a Stradivarius, <laughs> but uh, super helpful when it comes to defeating the British. So yes. there's that. The Hero of Two Worlds is his nickname, according to Wikipedia, oh. which is a little unwieldy. It's it's unwieldy and grand for I mean those two worlds are France and the United States because yeah that's true and also didn't he kind of disgrace himself in the French Revolution I don't know Hamilton doesn't doesn't deal with it oh it <laughs> so, doesn't get to that yeah it doesn't he gets you know he gets one line in the second act <laughs> he did real great for us in the revolution including at Brandywine which is in Middle Earth but you know I'll give him a pass right. on that. Yeah, so, um, that's why it's the hero of two worlds. Oh, that's it. Okay, Middle Earth and Middle Earth and and, and real Earth, regular Earth, regular Earth. <laughs> so yeah, I was. Uh, ooh, the Day of Daggers. Anyway, I don't have time to read about everything that happened to him in the in the uh, French Revolution, but it ended with exile and imprisonment. So it couldn't have been too great. Couldn't have been great. Yeah. So now I was really just grasping at straws, and I clicked on the Order of Saint Saint Louis, mm-hmm. the Order of Saint Louis, which uh, he was a member of, which is just one of those. Um, well, it's a dynastic order of chivalry. Ooh, a new time was running out. I clicked on Louis the Fourteenth, um, thinking that his life at least probably overlapped with. Stradivarius, which I was uh, right about. In fact, I think it overlaps with the uh, existence of this violin. Oh, okay. So I thought, you know, maybe he played it or something. Yeah, yeah. One, um, yeah. Totally. But I couldn't find anything about him being a musician either. God, there's only just find... not enough musicians in history. That's one thing I always I, say. I found uh, he was a patron of the ballet, and he actually was a dancer. Louis was an eager dancer. <laughs> he performed 80 roles in 40 major ballets, so he was doing double duty. This approaches the career of a professional ballet dancer, so he was quite the twirler. He danced four parts in three of Moliere's comedy ballets. So then I thought, well, Moliere at least is like an artist who interacted with music, so I clicked on him, right. and that was where my race ended at Jean-Baptiste Pocaline Pocaline um I think Pocaline is how I've heard it but I yeah yeah known by his stage name Moliere (sighs) and that that did it for me gotcha gotcha well you know I appreciate as someone who was in a production of uh the would-be gentleman or the bourgeois gentleman I uh I appreciate that you ended on Moliere uh mine was a pretty direct Mm. path um uh, I was I was lucky. I went from Orson Welles to repertory theater, to opera, to music, to string quartet, to violin, to Antonio Stradivari, to Stradivarius, to list of Stradivarius instruments, to Lipinski Stradivarius. Um, so uh, you know, Damn. in terms of the actual route, uh, not yeah, it was it was uh, I was I was in it to win it not to make a good podcast with funny things that I found along the way. <laughs> that said, hey, you're not here to make friends. I'm not here to make friends. Uh, that said, um, I did keep some tabs on uh, things that popped up in my searches. Uh, the first of which, I mean, we have to address right now because uh, at the top of the Orson Welles Wikipedia page, 
it does in fact say uh, disambiguation uh, for the unrelated Massachusetts businessman Orson Welles. See Welles House. For the spider, see all one word Orson Welles. So, <laughs> Jesus, there's a spider. There's a spider, um, Orson Welles, a genus of American dwarf spiders that was first described by G. Ormiga in 2002. They're all native to the Hawaiian Islands, each species occurring on a single island, often at high elevations. Many of the species' names commemorate oh Welles' films. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. you might have seen uh, a member of the Orson Welles uh, genus. Uh, I, got a, and- I actually got a bite. Oh, oh no! Are you while I was there, it could have been. Are you aware Orson Welles now? I could be transforming. You could be transform. That's it. That's it. Uh, it could be why oh. I keep having to have dental work done. Right. right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this is just so. Like, there's the Orson Welles Amber, Sor- uh, Amber Sonorum from the Magnus Ben Andersons. Um, there's. Um, Orson Welles Arcanus, uh, which is from the Welles 955 film Mr. Arcaden. They start to get like a little bit less, uh, a little bit less on. Wait, hold on, on, hold on. Yeah? These are all what? These are all spiders, species of spider. And you know, because they're dwarf spiders, that means they're fucking huge, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're just goddamn gigantic. It's like when, like, like if somebody's nickname is tiny, it means they're right. huge and they can right. crush Absolutely. your skull. Absolutely, giant. The, the the dwarf spiders are are the ones that you, uh, you know, they're the size of they're the size of medium sized dogs, right? I bet that's how the businessman died. Oh, oh, that's probably good. That, that I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, the Wells House and Historic House, uh, located in North Adams, Massachusetts, built around 1840. Uh, it's a Greek revival farmhouse. It was built for Orson Wells, no relation, who settled North Adams in the 1810s and established an acid production facility nearby. I- <laughs> <laughs> He went out there to he went out to there to drill yeah, for acid, yeah. and he he, he hit, hit pay dirt. He hit acid pay dirt. It's, I mean, okay, okay. My apologies to all of our our people out there in the panhandles listening who are acid acid farmers. You know, we know it's a real industry. I'm sure. I'm just imagining the scene from There Will Be Blood, where the the rig blows and acids just <laughs> shooting through the sky and pouring down on everyone and. Mm-hmm. Their skin is sizzling. It's, it's a beautiful sight. So, so should yeah, we do another around. round? Have some more stuff. I, I feel like that was pretty successful, though. Back to Wiki Roulette with us. I got interviews with my live veterans, which is just <laughs> God. That's it's really not. We're a comedy podcast, I, I think. I mean, jury's out, but that would definitely change the genre. We did that thing about the cannibal last time, and I had to cut it. Yeah, let's... so maybe we're not gonna not gonna look at, at yeah my live interviews. All right, how about this? Let's take a look at this one. All right, Torsten Stalnaka. Stalnaka. 
All right. Uh, Torsten Emanuel Stalnaka um, was a former Swedish UN soldier, mostly known for his actions during the Congo crisis in 1961. Ooh. I have not heard of any of these things. I have not heard of any of this either. It sounds, it sounds like he's probably a war criminal. <laughs> I just can't imagine that the Congo crisis was anything good. But let's do it. Let's do well, it. Let's let's read about this guy a little bit and see All right. how this goes. He was born in Svapavara, Sweden, and did his military service, um, Swedish UN battalions in Suez, Gaza, 1956-1957. And in the Congo, he belonged to Battalion XIIK in 1961. Stalnaka <laughs> became known during the Congo crisis for his gallant conduct in action on 14 September 1961. Now, here's an interesting question. <laughs> because anything called the Congo crisis can't be good. But, and any white person's gallant conduct in action yeah. sounds highly suspect. Well, here's what they say. In connection with an attack on a weapons depot, two of his comrades were shocked. Do they mean electrical shock? Surely not. Just uh, just stunned. Just, just surprised. Yeah. And Stalnaka advanced by himself against an enemy firing position, armed with a Carl Gustav recoilless rifle. He took out an enemy armored car and a number of enemies before his jaw was shot to pieces. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, now this has gotten really personal for you, Ben. So his chin, I, <laughs> his chin hung down to his chest, and he was suffocating. Oh my God! No, we can't do this. Well, but, okay, I'm going to keep so, reading. Well, I mean, <laughs> we can't do this, but let's also just—we should take a moment to talk about that line. His chin hung down to his chest, and he was suffocating. I want to think those are unrelated because what, well, what possible <laughs> with his fingers, he cleared the neck free from bone fragments and was thereby able to breathe again during the retreat. And with whistling bullets around him, Stalnaka kept his chin up with one hand and held the recoilless rifle. And they're really <laughs> obsessed with how this rifle has no recoil. Um, right. held the rifle with the other hand, and managed with hand gestures and kicks. So he's got like four hands is what we're saying. Uh, yes, yes, um, absolutely. Gives him an unfair advantage in war. But um, <laughs> he managed with hand gestures and kicks to get his two badly shocked comrades from the battlefield. Because of fighting around the Italian Red Cross Hospital in the center of Elizabethville, an ambulance could not drive all the way to it. The last hundred meters, Stalnaka and his comrades had to run to the hospital under the protection of the house walls. His biggest interests included berry picking, fishing, and hunting. Oh, all the things that require all of his many, many arms. <laughs> yeah, oh my God, he could pick so many berries. So many berries. The Congo crisis was a period of political upheaval and conflict in the Republic of the Congo, today the Congo DR, between 1960 and 1965. Mm -hmm. The crisis began almost immediately after the Congo became independent from Belgium and ended unofficially with the entire country under the rule of Joseph Desiree Mobutu. So, yeah, there's nothing good okay. here. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I do want to keep in the part about, about the, the soldier whose jaw got shut off and he had all the arms, but 
But you know what? Why don't we go for uh, Lubumbashi, which is um, the uh, the current name of what was once Elizabethville, and then during the Dutch occupation of uh, of the Congo, uh, Elizabethstad. Less less war crimey. <laughs> I'm always trying to make this podcast a little less war crimey wherever possible. Okay, I finished. Oh, uh, I uh, you beat me to it. Cool. All right. Were you almost there? I, I was. I was. I think a page away. But uh, yes, let's right. go. Let's go. This time I am the winner. I've all right. I'm cleansed of my shame from the last round. Absolutely. You go first this right, time. Yes, that's right. So um, I went uh, from. I started at Orson Welles, and uh, from there I went to um, Alessandro Cagliostro. Um, who Wells portrayed uh, on film, the famed um, occultist Count Alessandro di Cagliostro, um, which was the alias of the occultist Giuseppe Balsamo, who... In relation to Giuseppe Tartini? um, You know what? I think all Giuseppes are the same. I think I've heard that before. I think Um, there's just one cosmic Giuseppe. Again, like the Highlander, they can only be one at a time. Right, right. Only one Giuseppe. Um, So... Ooh, when the time came for the two to dig up the supposed treasure, Balsamo attacked Murano, who was left bleeding and wondering what had happened to the boy. In his mind, the beating he had been subjected to had been the work of jins. Uh, did I miss something? Where did that uh, come from? Sorry, that was just the, the, a sentence that caught my eye for obvious reasons. Um, um, a, let's see. Um, that was jins, D-J-I-N-N-S? Yes. yes. Not G-I-N-S. Not G- no, it was not the work of, of drinking too much, too many varieties of gin. Um, no, okay, so during his period, uh, this is Cagliostro, or, you know, Balsamo, uh, as a novice in the order of, um, uh, in the order of, um, oh gosh, uh, I, I guess this is a Maltese order that he was a part of. Um, not the order of St. Louis. Not the order of St. Louis. Um, during the period as a novice in the, or, uh, in the order, Balsamo learned chemistry as well as a series of spiritual uh, rites. In 1764, when he was 21, he convinced Vincenzo Marano, a wealthy goldsmith, of the existence of a hidden treasure buried several hundred years previously at Mount Pellegrino. The um, that's the volcano that erupts uh, extremely tart lemonade. Um, the young man's knowledge of the occult, uh, Marana reasoned, would be valuable in preventing the duo from being attacked by magical creatures guarding the treasure. In preparation for the expedition to Mount Pellegrino, however, Balsamo requested seventy pieces of silver from Marano. When the time came for the two to dig up the supposed treasure, Balsamo attacked Murano, who was left bleeding and wondering what had happened to the boy. In his mind, the being been subjected to was the work of jinns. There was a detail in that story. He um, promised him 70 pieces of silver, or he demanded 70 yeah. pieces of silver? He demanded 70 pieces of silver. He wanted the Judas fee times two plus taxes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say, um, <laughs> just like the Stradivarius is another interesting example of inflation. Right, right. Also, he demanded silver from a goldsmith, which I assume is, uh, <laughs> right. you know. Sorry, it took me a second, but yeah. <laughs> uh, that just seems like a very odd, odd choice on his part. Absolutely, absolutely. God, this this entire thing, though, is just like 
Yeah, he was an occultist, and so this goldsmith, he convinced the goldsmith there was a, a treasure buried underneath a mountain, and the goldsmith was like, so magical creatures, you can protect us from magical creatures that are definitely going to be there. And he said, yeah. And then he just beat him up, and <laughs> and the guy came away thinking that uh, that he'd been attacked by those magical creatures and not not the guy that he hired. So this is, this is about gullibility. From there I went to Malta. And from Malta to the Sakani people of Malta, uh, and then from there to Phoenicia, since the Sakani people were, uh, I, I think, um, one of three ancient people present at the time of Phoenician and Greek colonization on Malta. From there to ancient Carthage, which the Phoenicians at one time owned, was trying to get to Africa, right? And from Carthage to Western Sahara, um, from Western Sahara to, uh, um, to West Africa, where I thought the Congo was, I was wrong. Um, because then I, I had to go to Africa generally from Africa, uh, to, uh, Kinshasa. And then I was on, uh, the democratic Republic of the Congo page since Kinshasa is the capital of it when, uh, when time was called. So almost got to Lubumbashi, but not quite. That was a pretty that was a pretty great route. You covered weirdos from history. You, you demonstrated a, a working knowledge of ancient cultures and their various intercourses across the Mediterranean. And, yeah, uh, and a suspect uh, grasp of African geography, which I will join you in in just a moment. If if only if only we were getting paid for this, I could. This could be a marketable skill. <laughs> All right, so. Um, I sort of did what you did the first time, which was take an obvious and fairly mm-hmm. linear path. Um, mm-hmm. Being that my my starting point is Abraham Lincoln, I simply went to President of the United States, so the office of the President of the United States, ah, yeah. and then United States of America, which, as you may know, is a country at least for now. Just had a birthday recently, this country, the United States. It did. It did. It was not a happy birthday. I've got to say it was was a really, it was a really unhappy birthday. Yeah. One of the more grim birthday parties I've been to from United States of America. I went to country, which, which is a region that is identified as a distinct entity in political geography. From there, I uh, scrolled down to sovereignty status, and there was a thing that said, see also list of sovereign states. And I said, yes, please. <laughs> Show me that list. <laughs> this was an alphabetized list of sovereign states around the world. I just uh, zoomed on down to C, mm-hmm. and then I very confidently clicked on Republic of the Congo, which mm-hmm. was the wrong country. Ah, right, right. The Republic of the Congo, also known as Congo Brazzaville, mm-hmm. uh, the Congo mm-hmm. Republic, West Congo, ROC, or simply the Congo, is a country located in the western coast of Central Africa. Uh, and it was not the country I was looking for, but I spent quite a bit of time looking at its Wikipedia page trying to find Lubumbashi. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to learn a little bit about the Bantu-speaking peoples of the pre-colonial era, the uh, Portuguese explorer Diogo Cao, who reached the mouth of the Congo in 1484. It was colonized by the French, and this was where my uh, alarm bells started to go off because I was looking for for the Belgians and I couldn't find them. And I couldn't find the Congo crisis where that guy got his jaw blown off. So 
Uh, I knew something was wrong. So I went back up to the top and found that the very first sentence, you know, in the italicized type above the the main body of the article says, not to be confused with the neighboring Democratic Republic of the Congo. Okay, there we go. And from there, it was a simple matter of going to the menu, finding the largest cities, of which uh, Lubumbashi is number two behind Kinshasa. And there I was. You know what I've gotten out of this is that we need to do an episode on on Giuseppe's throughout history. What have they been up to? They've been getting up to some shit, and somebody somebody needs to look into this. Yeah, and I don't know who else is going to do it. I mean, we are we are the the Giuseppe cast of of note at at this moment in time, and we only have half an episode devoted to it so far. So. I definitely want to talk more about Alessandro Cagliostro at some point in time. I don't know if this is, sorry, I can't tell if I am like, if I'm recording part of the podcast right now or just like, Ben, <laughs> we need to talk about Cagliostro. <laughs> I'm kind of serious about this, um, this like all Giuseppe episode. Yeah, yeah, no, I think, I think, so. I think I, yeah, let's do it. I, I can't believe that we can't find three or four more deeply suspicious Giuseppe's. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll just basically persecute people with that name. That, that'll be, that'll be good. Yeah. Well, the, the, the scoundrel that I was going to tell you about, mm-hmm. I guess he was a bit of a scoundrel, uh, but more just a weirdo. As far as I know, he didn't actually hurt anyone. He was just real weird and creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Anton Bruckner. He was a composer. Okay. And um the first thing I heard about him was that uh um that he uh went to some kind of event where they I think they dug up Robert Schumann who we also talked about on the podcast before. Right, right. And I don't know why exactly, but they dug him up for some kind of uh memorial as all these like music people were standing around Bruckner like reached in and just grabbed his skull and picked it mm-hmm. up. I guess that wouldn't have been so weird, except that not long earlier, they'd done a similar thing for Beethoven, and he had also grabbed Beethoven's skull, (laughs) and he apparently had... (laughs) I'm so... Wait, 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 wait. It just all hit me at once. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Bunch of, a bunch of famous composer skulls. Oh, God. Oh. Was he eating them for power? Like, what was happening? Let's see if I can find this again. Um, <clears throat> so Austrian composer Anton Bruckner suffered from neuromania, an obsession with counting objects. He kept careful lists of how many Hail Marys and Our Fathers he recited each night and composed his symphony so that every bar satisfied his own hidden numerical pattern. <laughs> So that's weird and unhealthy sounding, but whatever. Bruckner was a hopeless romantic whose infatuation with teen girls led to an accusation of impropriety at the school where he taught music. He made unsuccessful proposals of marriage to young girls all the way into his 70s, but he never married. So now that's a lot less okay. (laughs) Well, you know, 
Uh, Giuseppe uh, Balsamo also also had a, a young lady dalliance. I'm going to bet that that's a theme with a lot of weirdos. Yeah, a lot of weirdos marry a lot of young ladies. Um, okay, I got it. It wasn't Robert Schumann. It was it was uh, Franz Schubert. Uh huh. When Franz Schubert's coffin was opened in 1888, Bruckner was overcome with awe. He reached in and grasped Schubert's skull with both hands, letting go only when he was physically pulled away. Good God. This might not have been so odd had he not done the same thing a few months earlier to Beethoven's corpse. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Real real grabby with the skulls. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's very good. Uh, well, this has been the Lincoln and Wells skull cast. This has been the skull cast. I, oh, um, it's, it's, that is the perfect way to portray that uh, thing too. Like they don't go into detail on the Beethoven thing. It's just like, <laughs> you know, funny, funny story. This is a serial skull toucher. Well, I'm, I'm Tyler Dean. And I'm Ben Miller, and we'll be back sooner than last time, I think. We think. Although I'm going away again, so. Oh, my God. Can't make any promises. But we did not quit, and we're not going we're away. We're not going away. We, so stop we, asking us. Yeah. We have a lot more, more skulls to tell you about, a lot more African uh, uh, nations to misidentify uh, to our own chagrin. And yeah, a lot of Giuseppe's to uh, fucking ream who need, who, whose evil deeds need to be aired. Absolutely. 